it's time for Legally Speaking on CFAX 1070. Joining us, Michael Mulligan, barrister and solicitor with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, we had a story that we covered earlier on the show today about the Premier himself uh, misunderstanding temporarily the rules with respect to write-in balloting and how that works. This, of course, is prescribed within statute of which you have reviewed, yes? Yes, indeed. Uh, I must say I had, I think, what you could best be described as a legal spit take when I heard the, uh, <laughs> was listening to you earlier today with the uh, Premier's description of how somebody might uh, fill in a write-in ballot uh, in an inaccurate way. Uh, so I, I think that's really important, um, and you're quite right. It is actually set out uh, in the Election Act, um, and there are some important principles for people to know about, both in terms of how you would complete a uh, a regular ballot uh, versus how you could complete a write-in ballot. Uh, and there are rules set out in the Election Act uh, which would have the potential to invalidate either of those things. And so I, I think that really requires some clear explanation for people, uh, particularly anyone who might have been misled by the uh, advice uh, that was broadcast uh, earlier today from the Premier. Um, and so starting with the, the write-in ballot, and those are the ones that are being distributed now, if you, if you ask for a mail-in ballot, the problem is that uh, because of how quickly this election was called, uh, there were not candidates uh, nominated in all of the writings, and I don't think for any of the three uh, uh, major political parties uh, have candidates uh, registered in all of the writings. And that process is still open. And so presumably they'll all get that done before the election occurs, but it hasn't yet occurred. And so when somebody writes in and asks for a mail-in ballot, well, they can't send them a mail-in ballot with the candidates listed on it because they don't yet exist. Yeah, one, uh, one would think temporal causality <laughs> must yeah. play a role as always. <laughs> that causes a problem. Uh, and so, well, where does that leave people? Well, they're, they're left with a blank spot. Uh, and what can you write in there if you want your ballot to actually count? Well, what you cannot do uh, is you cannot write in the name of a party leader unless that leader is the candidate in the writing in which you are voting, right? That was the misleading part of the information that was provided or broadcast this morning from the Premier. Yes. Um, you cannot do that unless, of course, uh, the leader of the party is uh, the candidate you're voting for in the writing. Like if, the, if you're in Premier Horgan's writing, you could write his name in. Of yes. course, that would be just fine. Now, the other thing to be aware of is that you are permitted uh, by operation of Section uh, 91 uh, and uh, the opera Section 91 and 123 of the Election Act. The other thing which you would be permitted to do is you are permitted to, with one of these write-in ballots, these are the mail-in ones, you are permitted to write in the name of the registered political party you wish to vote for. Um, and that will also be effective. Um, and so that part is permitted. You could write in either the you could write in the name of the candidate you wish to vote for, or you can write in the uh, political party. So if somebody wanted to vote for the Green Party, they could write in Green Party. Mm -hmm. And indeed, uh, the uh, Election Act uh, even uh, provides for this. Um, if, there, if somebody makes a mistake and uses a misspelling of a name mm -hmm. or an abbreviation, but it clearly indicates the intention of the voter, it will still count. 
so don't worry if you have misspelled somebody's name. Don't be tossing and turning at night. That's still going to count. Uh, and furthermore, your ballot wouldn't be uh, you know, invalidated if somebody wanted to, for example, vote for the British Columbia Liberal Party and they wrote in liberal or something yes. of that sort, right? As long as it's clear what party they were intending to vote for. Just don't write in the name of the party leader, you must write in on one of these mail-in blank ballots where you have a spot, name of the candidate, or you can write in the name of the party. Now, a few other things to remember, though. Mm -hmm. Do not do that if you're voting using a regular ballot. Like if you're going into the polls with a mask on and and voting with a regular ballot, do not do something like write in the name of the political party you wish to vote for, because that may result in your vote being uh, invalid. And the reason for that um, is that uh, you are not permitted uh, to uh, mark your ballot in a way that could identify you as a voter. Um, That's not permitted. Um, Like the clearest example of that would be if you wrote your name on it, for example. That ballot will not count. Um, And I participated in one of these uh, judicial recounts federally a number of years ago now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I had a chance to see all of the various kind of examples of the uh, odd things people wind up doing with their ballots. People do odd things like writing numbers, one, two, three, (laughs) or drawing little symbols or all kinds of things. And the, the theory behind not allowing identifying marks or names or things written on ballots is to avoid um, the intimidation of voters. Yes. And I'm not sure how common that would be today's, you know, uh, day and age. But you could imagine, let's say, an employer said to all of their employees, you better get in and vote for so-and-so, and if you don't, you're fired. Yes. <laughs> and I'll know if you voted for them because you better have a star on the corner of your ballot and if I don't see that star, right, you yes. know, we're going to have a scrutineer there. You're fired, right? Yes. And this is also the, per- the reason that you are not permitted to photograph a marked ballot at a polling station, because that would create evidence that you could use to satisfy someone extorting you. Yes, that's not allowed either. You don't show up there with a camera. Now, interestingly, there is an express exception for the write-in ballots, uh, which is this. It says... Uh, the ballot, this is the reason why a ballot must be rejected as mandatory. It says mm-hmm. the ballot is uniquely marked or otherwise uniquely dealt with in such a manner that the voter could reasonably be identified other than mm-hmm. is necessary for the purpose of voting by write-in ballot. And so mm-hmm. that does not mean you write your name on the thing, but what it would mean is, for example, you would not have it invalidated because somebody might say, well, I can identify that handwriting, or I could identify you know, your printing when you've written in, you know, NDP or green or whatever you've written in your spot. And so that's designed to prevent a ballot from being rejected on the basis of notable handwriting, for example. Interesting. Um, And so uh, that's important for people to know. So if you're voting with a, only when you're voting with one of these blank mail-in ballots, you would be permitted to write the name of the party or the name of the candidate you wish to vote for. Just don't write the leader's name in unless the leader is a candidate in your writing. And if you go in to vote using a regular ballot at a polling station, um, you're permitted to, by virtue of the act, you could put a, a cross in the, in the blank spot, right? Mm-hmm. A tick mark is also expressly permitted by the Provincial uh, Election Act. Uh, or indeed a, a, another kind of mark in that spot which would clearly indicate the intention of the voter 
subject to the uh, problem if it's a potentially uniquely identifying mark. And so the strong advice would be if you go in to vote with a regular ballot, just put an X in the spot, next in the blank spot next to whoever it is you want to vote for. Don't write things, uh, names in there. Don't rank them. Um, don't cross people out. Um, I, when we did this a number of years ago, I saw all manner of things you wouldn't believe. You know, people were, you know, putting an exclamation point in one and, you know, filling in another <laughs> circle completely. <laughs> what is this? You know, really like number two, but... You, <laughs> Perhaps it's, you know. it's notational shorthand for the purposes of making a decision. Yeah, that's right. You, you can see the mental process. Like, <laughs> unlike when you're doing your math exam in grade 12, don't show your work. Just indicate who you want to vote for. Uh, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm wondering if you can help me out uh, whether or not we understand the purpose of the provisions with the write-in ballot and the leader's name not being sufficient. I can understand why it, we would allow a party name to be used because that clearly conveys the overall intention of the voter irrespective of the, of the riding they find themselves in. But I would also think that each of the party leaders is also a unique identifier for the party, and yet that is precluded as being dispositive in establishing a person's intent. Do we know why? Well, I guess, uh, you know, all I can say is that's what the Election Act says, okay. right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's an interesting thing that uh, even writing in the name of the party would be an acceptable thing. Uh, there has been in the past a debate, including in British Columbia, this is going back many decades, uh, one of the things which has previously been debated is whether party identification should be listed on a ballot at all. Yeah. Um, and we do have that now, but we have not always had that. Uh, it used to be in British Columbia that you would only see the names of the candidates, not their party affiliation. Uh, and indeed, there is an argument that we should not have the party affiliation on there, and that argument is that it gives the parties um, greater uh, control uh, over the candidates or uh, MLAs eventually, because um, you can say to them, look, if you don't vote in the legislature in the way I am telling you to vote as the leader, you're not going to run uh, as a fill-in-the-blank NDP candidate next yes. time, and yes. you're never going to get elected. Uh, and if you don't have the party affiliation written on the ballot, um, it eliminates some of the power <laughs> that a political party would have to control MLAs. And so the argument would go, well, you shouldn't have that on the ballot, and so that because it would uh, permit greater independent thought by uh, MLAs and independent voting in accordance with their own judgment or the judgment of uh, their constituents. And I must say in that regard, it is kind of remarkable when you sort of hear the rhetoric surrounding the, the calling of the current election. Yes. It's talked about in terms of uh, the Premier desiring certainty uh, over how votes are going to go in the legislature. Yes. And I must say, the only reason you're having any certainty in terms of how votes are going as the premier is by virtue of your capacity to control how your MLAs are voting. Because, of course, if the MLAs were voting in the legislature in an independent fashion, taking into account their own judgments and uh, you know the interests of their own constituents and so forth, you would not have... Um, uh, sort of a, a trained seal exercise with, you know, exactly <laughs> every government MLA standing up on, on right, uh, yes. on uh, as called upon, um, you would have a, a circumstance which would look much more like what you would see in the United States, for example, where 
you, if you look at votes in the U.S. Senate or in the House of Representatives, you would often see votes which would go along party lines, but absolutely not always. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes on sort of matters of principle or, or whatever it might be, or strong interest to somebody's own constituency, they, uh, there, the elected representatives are much more likely to vote uh, in a way that's not consistent with their party affiliation. And some of that comes from by virtue of the fact that the party leadership there doesn't have the same capacity to just decide, sorry, you're not running as a liberal again, or sorry, you're not running as another NDP member again, and you're not going to be listed on the ballot in that way, and therefore you're going to be out. In the U.S., you've got uh, sort of a uh, institutionalized state-run primary system uh, whereby if somebody was a popular candidate um, uh, in a particular jurisdiction, uh, they're not beholden to the leader of the um, their party they might be affiliated with to be allowed to run again on behalf of that party. There would be potentially a um, primary vote, but that's up to the voters, not up to the leader of the party. Yes. So in Canada, we have just much greater control exercised by uh, the party leadership over how MLAs or MPs are voting. Um, and um, some of that is traced back to the, by the fact that we list the party affiliation on the ballots. And so the fact that uh, the Election Act in British Columbia now has gone from, at one point, not allowing party affiliations on ballots at all, to now, at least with these mail-in blank ones uh, that have been sent out, to write in only the party affiliation. Um, and, you know, holy smokes, yes. that's just sort of one more step uh, in terms of transferring um, uh, sort of control over how these people are going to behave uh, from the interests of their constituents or their own judgment to the will of the party. Mm-hmm. Uh, because even if you might be a very popular person, if people can vote by simply writing in the name of a political party, um, if you step out of line, uh, your chance of getting uh, elected again might look pretty grim. Uh, and that is why uh, when you watch votes in the legislature here, uh, they are uh, virtually always along party lines. Uh, and that is why you can even have this discourse about uh, you know, the uh, possibility of certainty in the legislature um, if uh, the uh, one party winds up with a, a majority, even of one or two uh, seats. Yes. Uh, that, that would not be so uh, if you didn't have some of those, what appear to be relatively subtle things, but uh, in reality, the things which permit parties to exercise uh, much greater control over what MLAs are doing. Michael Mulligan with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. We will continue Legally Speaking right after this break. Back on the air here, Legally Speaking with Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Michael, we have seven minutes and 35 seconds left in this segment today, and we have the uh, opportunity to cover a number of different topics. Where would we like to go next? Well, I think probably the uh, to carry on with the uh, election theme, which is on everyone's mind, I think a story that uh, came out of uh, Kelowna yesterday I think would be worth uh, worth talking about. Um, and that's a story that also involves the, uh, the Election Act in British Columbia. Uh, the factual background of this thing is that a uh, owner of a pub up in Kelowna uh, has been printing uh, at the bottom of his till receipts for customers a message which says, 
AUK24, vote that F star C-K-E-R O-U-T, two exclamation points. Um, and <laughs> so somebody... Oh, dear. <laughs> so somebody complained uh, to that this constituted third-party advertising during the course of an election campaign uh, and complained that the pub owner had failed to register... Uh, as a third-party advertiser. <laughs> hmm. uh, and that actually prompted uh, Elections BC to uh, get in touch with the pub owner to ask that he register uh, as a result of printing these messages at the bottom of his till receipt. Hmm. Um, yeah, and so that brings me to the Election Act again. And, well, what is what are they talking about here? Well, in British Columbia, we've got limits on how much political parties are allowed to spend on an election so that you just don't have rich people buying the outcome of the thing. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, maybe that uh, that theory was prior to um, uh, Michael Bloomberg's efforts in the United States where he spent, it was some a billion dollars or something. And Indeed. When, when uh, I think, only American Samoa. So maybe the theory that you could just buy the election is uh, is over uh, overrated. But Quite so. In any case, we, we do have these limits, and, and the limits on what somebody could spend would be pretty meaningless uh, if you could just have your friend go and spend some unlimited amount of money, I guess, touting how great you are or how terrible your opponent is, right? Yes. And so in order to make those work, uh, you have to have limits on what third parties are allowed to spend on advertising. Mm-hmm. But I should say they're pretty broad, and the penalty is pretty draconian, and so... You need to be aware of these things, uh, even if you are doing something like typing a message on your till receipt. Um, And so what happens is that they've defined the concept of campaign period election advertising very broadly. The Act defines it as transmitting to the public by any means during an election campaign of an advertising message that promotes or opposes, directly or indirectly, a registered political party, the election of a candidate, including an advertising message that takes a position on an issue with which the registered political party or candidate is associated, but then it has some exceptions, things like um, radio or television programs, letters, debates, editorials, or things like uh, individual uh, postings online, that kind of thing. Those yes. are also exempted. Now, you, you might think, well, what, what, you know, how could this message be uh, anything at all? Obviously, nothing was spent here other than some ink on the person's, uh, you know, receipt machine. Uh, but the, the way the Election Act deals with that is that um, if the person who's um, providing something like that um, to assist a candidate or to resist, I guess, another candidate being elected. Um, the fair market value of the advertising would have to be included. Hmm. And, th- and then there are limits on how much a third-party advertiser could spend. Yes. They, are, they are permitted to spend only um, $3,000 if it has to do with a candidate in a specific electoral district or 150000 if it is uh, broader, right? Yes. So, interestingly here, the particular message typed out seems to be F star C-K-E-R singular. So, presumably, the pub owner is referring to the candidate in that writing. (laughs) And so, his limit would be $3,000 on that. Um, If he perhaps put the plural in, he might be able to go for the (laughs) (laughs) $150,000. This is why legal advice is worth so much, because that is a huge difference. Yeah, don't leave that S off if you want to spend more. (laughs) 
And then if you wish to, uh, to do this kind of advertising, um, you have to register. If you don't register, you're subject presumptively to a penalty of two times the value of the advertising. Uh, and then uh, if you do register, there are all these regulatory requirements, so the, the pub owner is going to be filling out forms and reports for quite some time, I suspect. Um, and then the Act provides that if somebody spends more than what they're permitted, the 3000 uh, or the $150,000, they are presumptively then subject to a fine uh, of up to, uh, not up to, a fine of 10 times the cost of the advertising, um, subject to uh, applying to a judge to ask that that be reduced. So if somebody spent, uh, you know, $160,000, right, uh, you know, a, a union or a large business or something, yeah. uh, they would be on the hook presumptively for a $100,000 fine. <sighs> Cross the line by $10,000, multiply it by 10, and get your checkbook out. Ouch. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, uh, there are some pretty substantial and, I think, rather draconian penalties there. The other thing which I think uh, is uh, perhaps more significant is just how much um, uh, there is required there in terms of regulatory compliance. You know, a person has to fill out all kinds of reports and forms and all of this stuff, I, I kid you not, when this pub owner is going to be sitting there for hours completing, uh, you know, forms and reports to avoid getting fined. And yes. so looking at all of this, it, it seems to me that uh, we, we might want to, well, this is obviously well-intentioned, do something to temper, <laughs> temper it by perhaps putting some minimum threshold on when all of these things are going to be engaged. Yes. And clearly you don't want somebody buying the election, but... You know, if you had somebody who wants to, uh, you know, engage in something like this that's going to cost, you know, almost nothing, um, perhaps we should put some minimum threshold on it to avoid the regulatory burden. Um, you wouldn't want it to be a, you know, circumstance where you could get a thousand of your friends to start using that threshold. But if you said, for example, look, none of this uh, regulation or, you know, uh, completing of forms or registering and so on is going to be required unless you spend more than, you know, pick some figure. $250 or something, right? Yes. I think you could safely conclude that people weren't going to buy the election for $250 worth of uh, advertising, uh, and you would uh, eliminate uh, the need for uh, Elections BC to be clamping down on the you know, pub owners of the world that are trying to express their opinion on their receipts. That, to me, just seems like uh, perhaps unnecessary um, uh, unnecessary uh, regulation, even if the ultimate objective is a good one. Indeed. Michael Mulligan, barrister and solicitor with Mulligan Defense Lawyers during the second half of our second hour every Thursday. Michael, I will not be here next Thursday, but I assume that you will be. I'm taking a couple of long weekends in lieu of what would have been a continuous vacation because of the election campaign. But I will talk to you soon, my friend. Have a, have a great vacation. Look forward to it. Thank All you right. so much. Bye now.